All right, so we are in chapter 7, and we're going to read verse 19, and we'll read through 8.15, um, and just listen. If you don't have a Bible, follow along if you do have one, and here we go. This is Wisdom in Ecclesiastes. Wisdom gives strength to the wise, uh, to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose hands are fetters, or sorry, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So that might all just sound like 
rambling, just, just rambling, and it kind of is, but it's wise rambling, okay? And we're going to try to make sense of that huge section that we just read, and I think we can do so, um, but first, we're going to talk about this picture, okay? So what do you think this picture is maybe trying to, to, to show a representation of? What do you see? I heard something, but I... We've got the world, right? It's showing us kind of the curvature here. So we know that we've got the world. Someone said community. They are all kind of headed in one direction, aren't they? Yeah, good. Yeah, so I, I just throw this up here um, just to kind of give us a visual image of this word society. Do you guys know what the word society means? What do you guys think society means? What is a society? What society are you a part of? All right, well, let, let me help define it first, okay? So a society, a society is just a group of people, a group of people that are united by some something. Something unites a group of people, okay? So what societies would you say that you are a part of? Yeah? School. Your school is a society in itself, right, exactly. You've got... Kind of, you've got rulers, you've got underlings in your school, you've got the principal, the teachers, the students, okay? You have a society, good. What else? Where else? Yeah. Youth group. Youth group, right? We've got our own little society here, good. Yeah? The flat earth society. The flat earth society. So people united by the idea that the earth is flat. Yes. Good. That society, I hope, is decreasing in size. No? Okay. <laughs> awesome. Good to know. Yes, Kyla. Yeah, sure. Sports team. You have a whole society around a sports team. So, for example, like, you've got, like, people who wear cheese on their head is, like, that is a society. Like, who else does that? They've got their own little society. Okay. Other societies you guys can think of? America. America's a society. DuPage County. DuPage County, yeah. We've got our own little society, DuPage County. Okay. So these are all examples of societies, okay? And I think that the common theme throughout this passage is this idea of how wisdom strengthens society. So turn back to that first part of our passage, chapter 7, verse 19. Did everyone get a Bible who needed one? Brat brought some in there. Anyone still need a Bible? Do we have any extras or no? We, hand, we handed them all out, though. That's okay. That's great. No one else is raising their hand, so it's fine. Okay, so here we go, guys. 7, verse 19. 7, verse 19. All right, someone read that out loud for me. Out, yeah, go ahead, right here, Margaret. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Okay, so wisdom gives strength to a wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city, okay? So a city would be strong if it had a strong ruler, right? But imagine a city that had ten rulers that were all wise. That would, that would be good. But here it's saying wisdom Give strength um, to the wise man even more than ten rulers who are in a city. So we have this big principle, this big idea, 
that's going to help us right at the beginning. And that big idea is that wisdom, wherever wisdom is found, it strengthens a society. Would you guys agree with that? Would you agree that a school with lots of wise people in it would be a better school than one that had only one wise person in it? Okay, lots of wise teachers or wise administrators. Yeah, that would, that would create a stronger society, right? A, a nation that had a government filled with people who only got there because they were, you know, the son of so-and-so or they bribed their way in there versus a nation filled with, you know, scholars who had earned their positions and were wise and elected because of their wisdom, you'd expect the second nation to be a stronger nation, right? Because it's being governed by wisdom. So wisdom, wherever it's found, strengthens a society. And this is true even for the people in the society, right? So you don't have to be a ruler to help strengthen a society. We can strengthen our society simply by being wise members in our society. Well, we're going to look at four different ways that wisdom uh, can help us to strengthen a society, or things we learn about society, okay? So first... Let's reread verses 20 to 22. And this is the first little section I think we have. So verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So be slow to judge those who sin against you. That's kind of how I've labeled this section. If you're thinking about society, this word is specifically to those who have servants, which applies to how many of us? I know some of you have younger <laughs> brothers and sisters. They are not your servants, though you treat them that way. Um, so there is a general principle here, though, that we can take away, okay? And so what I want us to do with each section is I want us to look for the truth that the preacher is telling us in Ecclesiastes, and then I want us to look for the wisdom he's telling us to go along with that truth. Okay, so the truth in this first section is that our society is made up of sinners. Okay, so look back at verse 20. How many people are righteous on the earth? Zero. Okay, there are no righteous people on earth who do good and never sin. So there's a truth here. That your society, your school, your volleyball team, your church, your country is made up of sinners. That is true, no matter who you are or what society you are a part of. And so there's wisdom that should go along with that truth. And he says it this way, don't take to heart the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Here's how I put it. Don't be devastated when you hear someone speak poorly of you. I think that's kind of what he's saying here. Don't be devastated when you hear someone. Have you guys ever had that experience? You overheard something that someone said about you. They didn't think you were listening or got passed secondhand or thirdhand down to you. You're devastated. The advice is don't be devastated. Why? Remember the truth of verse 20, which is that our society is made up of sinners. Some of us, especially when we're in the church and someone wrongs us in the church, and we're like, how could you? You call yourself a Christian. Well, what are Christians? They're saved sinners. We're still sinners, right? So remember, we're, we're made up of sinners. And the fact, not only that, 
but you've done the same thing. That you, in fact, have treated the same way. I mean, just think about this topic of, of kind of talking behind someone's back. If everything you said about other people was repeated verbatim, the exact way you said it, back to them, how would you feel about that, just in general? Like, he's just, even the tone of voice, even the look on your face, yeah, not, not great. Even in, on your best of days, even when you're like, I'm really trying hard not to just, like, slander and gossip and, like, tear this person, you know, apart to my friend as I talk about them, you realize that if that was said back to them, you would not be very comfortable in that situation. And that should go for most situations. That when someone sins against you, chances are very good that you have done something similar to them or to someone else. And that ought to produce something in us. Wisdom is what we're being told here. It should be produce wisdom. And that wisdom is that we don't just get devastated by what happens. The New Testament takes it a little bit further. What do you think the New Testament's going to tell us? What's Jesus going to do with this? How does Jesus tell us to treat those who, who wrong us? All right, to forgive them, and why? Because God forgave you, exactly. I mean, it's, it's the, kind of the same principle that we have here. You know, a preacher says, don't be devastated when someone sins against you because you sin too. Jesus says, forgive those who sin against you because you have been forgiven by God. And so it takes it a step further. So imagine living in a society where we just knew that everyone in it was sinners. When the president said something funny on the news, when people hold views that are different than we hold, when things don't go our way, when things actually harm us, what if we just had this little thing in our mind that said, you know what? We're sinners. And... I've probably done that same thing to somebody else. It might start to change the way our society works and interacts with one another. Well, let's keep going, okay? The next one, sexual immorality ruins a society. So there's a lot of relationships that the preacher could have focused on in society, right? And this is the one that he goes to. So let's read um, verse 23 um, to 29. He says, all this I've tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? So he keeps telling us that wisdom is hard to come by, but then he also keeps telling us wisdom. So he, there is wisdom out there. He says, I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. I think here what he means is I'm searching out how society kind of works what's the big idea and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness and i find something more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares so picture like a bear trap you know that thing you step in and it latches on your foot and nets the things that you throw to catch fish or to catch birds and whose hands are fetters that means like handcuffs he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. 
Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, and a woman among all these I have not found. What does that mean? That kind of means that in his search for a righteous person, he found one man in the midst of a thousand and no women who are righteous. Now that shouldn't suggest that men are better than women. It's pretty bad all over the place. And then he says in the next line, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So even that one man, even all men have sought out many schemes. So there's some truth here that we should see. What's the truth that he's conveying to us? First, he's telling us in verse 26 here that sexual immorality ruins a society. So this woman that he's describing is a woman who is maybe wooing a man out of his marriage, out of his right relationship with his wife, um, and uh, drawing him into an immoral relationship uh, with her. Okay, um, And then he adds to this in verse 28, though God made us upright, we all seek out sin. That shouldn't be there. Our society six sinners. Um, I made this very fast. That's why I was late getting in here. <laughs> So, though God made us upright, we all seek out sin. So, sounds kind of similar to the last one, right? There's no one who's righteous. God made us upright, Adam and Eve, right? Perfect. And what happens? We all go searching out sinful ways, okay? Um, When we think about society, society can be broken down into smaller and smaller building blocks. So, you could say that the whole world is a society made up of what? humans, okay? So if we broke down the world, we'd say it was maybe made up by nations. We've got a lot of different nations all over the world. And those nations, our nation is made up of states, great, great, and our states is full of counties, cities, districts, whatever, right? Okay? Um, and those, those can even be sectioned down into neighborhoods, schools, Okay, businesses, things like that. And those can be blocked off in even smaller units, families. Okay, and families can be built up of couples, marriages, individuals who are seeking marriage. Okay, and so what he's saying is that at the very ground level of society, there's a very important relationship, and that relationship is marriage. And nothing destroys society faster than when sexual immorality comes into that marriage and starts tearing apart marriages. It's more bitter than death is actually what he has to say. Does that make sense? So it's not just like he's just choosing one random relationship to focus on, but he's choosing one that's actually foundational to all of society. And how does that impact you guys? middle school students, high school students who aren't married, to my knowledge. Well, the adulterous woman is already out there, isn't she? We see her and him, the adulterous man, on the internet. We have a huge problem with pornography. We have a huge problem with our entertainment industry and what we consider to be entertainment. So we we watch movies and we watch TV shows and we get hooked by this idea that we want someone to commit adultery in our TV show for the sake of love. 
because that's how the TV show is made, is we're made to like certain people and not like other people. And as we watch the show or watch the movie, if we're not careful, we start to find ourselves kind of like rooting for immorality. We start rooting for the underdog person to do things that are immoral in the relationship to win the girl or to get the guy. And our hearts are impacted by that, even at this age, even at your guys' age. Okay, so he's saying, how do we destroy a society really fast? It's by going down that, that path. But where is wisdom? Wisdom is found in verse 26. He says, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. So he says, if you live to please God, he will help you to escape this danger. God helps us to preserve society by helping us to escape the danger of sexual morality. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says something really similar. No temptation has overtaken you that, can't, that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God promises that for those who live for him and are seeking to please him, when that woman or man comes along, or even on a TV show, or even on a computer screen, that he's able to give you the strength and a way of escape so that you can say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to change the channel. I'm going to shut down the computer. I'm going to toss my phone away and go somewhere else to avoid the destruction that is going to happen to me and to society. Well, he keeps going on now to talk about those who are in Authority. Wisdom teaches us how to treat those who are in authority. So let's list. Who, who is in authority over you these days? Got parents. Got teachers. The principal is in authority. Yeah, your boss has authority over you. Good. You have authority over your Sort of. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'd like to think so. <laughs> you will pay for that. <laughs> we have a government, don't we? Those guys. So we have a new governor. <laughs> and we have a president, don't we? Who's over our country. So I want us, as we go through this, I want us to think on the kind of president level, because that's kind of the level that this passage is talking about. It's talking about a king, and while Donald Trump is not a king, um, he is the closest that we have in relationship to ourselves to a king. And so I want us, as we read this, to think about our relationship, your relationship with Donald Trump. Okay? All right, so let's read... Chapter 8, 1 through 9, just says, Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. That's a good thing. It makes him happy. And the hardness of his face is changed. That means it makes him at peace. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. 
for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what it is to, what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Now I think that last verse, that man had, when, when man had power over man to his hurt, is just his way of saying, I'm talking about government right now. I'm talking about rulers. I'm talking about people who have authority. People who can make laws and make declarations and change things that hurt other people. Okay? And he started off by talking about kings. So I think that's what he kind of has in mind here. So what does the preacher have to tell us about kings, about rulers, and about authorities? Well, the first thing I think he wants us to know is that leaders have real authority. It's not just like, oh, you're not really in charge. They, they really are. They really have authority. They really can change your life. They really can make it better. They really can make it harder. And it has been given to them by God. He starts off by saying, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Now, I think that's talking about in Israel, it was believed that the king was appointed by God, that they were the ones who ruled under God's oath. So it's very commonly understood that if you were a king in Israel, God was the one in charge of you and God is the one who put you there. Even the bad ones. Okay? Now, do we think that God put Donald Trump as our president? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 13, we hear something really similar. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Wow. So what that means is in every country, wherever there's an authority, God has a hand in this. God is the one who's in charge of who is in charge. So know that they have real authority and that it's been given to them by God. Now knowing that, how are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to act? Well, wisdom, he gives us, the first thing is verse 4. Verse 4, he says, well, let's look at verse 3 really. Oh no, we'll do the next one. Verse 4. For the word of the king is supreme, who may say to him, what are you doing? Um, nope, I'm in the wrong spot. Verse 3. Here we go. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. So be not hasty to go from his presence. It was very common back in the you know, Israel's day that when you needed something from the king, you would go and talk to him. And when you went and talked to the king, there's proper ways to interact before a king. Okay, you guys remember the story of Esther? Remember how when she went to the king, she was taking her life into her own hands? And when she approached him, if he didn't extend his scepter to her, it was a very bad thing. There were certain ways that she prepared herself to go into the king. 
Okay, so it's talking about that type of thing, that there is a way that you honor the king and there's a way that you leave the presence of a king. If you don't like what the king says to you, if you don't like his answer, be not hasty to go from his presence. That means don't be rude in the way that you leave his presence. He's the king. Honor him despite whether or not you like his answer. Now, is this the world that we live in nowadays when it comes to us and Donald Trump? When we watch the news and we hear how people talk about our president in, in schools or, or in society? You can answer that question. I mean, give me examples. What do, what do, what do we see in our society when it comes protests. to... What's that? Protests. Wow, well, we see lots of protests. What's that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the news, I mean, you just flick on the news and we, we hear people saying terrible things about our president, or you can watch your president say terrible things too. That's the day and age we live in. But it's not talking to the president right now, it's talking to us. Okay, so we don't live in a day and age where that's where we, where we live, that's not how we speak about our president. We don't honor our president necessarily. Um, and you might rightly argue that honor produces honor when someone speaks honorably to other people, that they speak honorably back. We don't, we don't get a lot of that from our president either, I wouldn't say. Look at verse 3 and then the second half. He says, Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. I think what he's saying here is he's advising us against wicked rebellions against our president. It's kind of interesting because we live in a nation that's built upon rebellion, don't we? So we think about what would the preacher say to us if there's plans for an assassination attempt or a coup or, or something like that. What would he say? Would he say, do not take your stand in an evil cause? And look what else it says on, uh, look at the end of verse 8. Verse 8, he says, you know, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. I think the idea here is, if you take up arms against your president or against your, the one that God's put in charge, just know that if you do so in a wicked manner, wickedness never saves people. That acting with wickedness will never save you. Now there's a whole other realm to talk about here is, to, does, is there ever a reason for us to resist a king or a president or to rebel? And I would just say the only thing that we really have in, in scripture to help us is this principle that we, um, just that if, if they're going against God's ways and trying to make us go against God's ways, we choose God over our leader. Okay, but there are these interesting things. Yeah, so, you know, so. I was just going to say, and I think that's what our founding fathers did when they wrote out the Declaration of Independence. They did not do so as we just the king. Mm-hmm. They listed very clearly what the grievances were and the way that the king was wronging and violating the, the given rights that God has given us as human beings. Yeah. So, yeah, that's I, I know we are a nation built on rebellion, but I don't. The way that we went about it was very different than the way the French went about it shortly after ours. Mm-hmm. So, um, it matters. Yep, it does. It definitely matters. Yeah, and I'm not trying to 
draw that distinction. You just say it's always wrong. So, But I'm just trying to draw our attention here to this idea that you should consider whether or not you're participating in an evil cause as you rebel against your president. Okay? So consider, guys, how does our nation react uh, when things don't go their way in the elections? When your group doesn't get elected, how do we react? Consider things that are said around your school or in the news. And consider this. I want you to consider this. Young people, I have found, I think, are especially susceptible to the kind of just outrage against the president when things don't go their way. This is an observation I've made. I don't know if it's true across the board. Okay? But I think part of the reason is you, there's just less history lived. There's less amount of time that's been lived to, to realize that sometimes you have to live under someone who's not great for a little while. One thing that stuck out to me for a long time when I first learned this is that Gavrilo Principe was 19 years old when he murdered the Archduke Ferdinand and began World War I. That stood out to me that, that 19, I'm like, when I was 19, I, I mean, not that I'm all that wise now, but I was really dumb. And to think that World War I and millions upon millions of people's lives ended, and that was what started it, was a 19-year-old's vision of he wanted to free his country from Austrian rule and murder someone that kicks off a world war. So kind of interesting. So as youth, be especially thoughtful on this topic. As you hear kind of waves of rallies and, and, and rebellion and hints of anger and, and hey, let's all band together and, and, and whatever, you know, it could be against the president, it could be just against your teacher, right? That happens in schools, doesn't it? Hey, if none of us does the homework, then they can't count it as a zero. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> when I was a teacher, that was a real easy decision. Zeros across the board. Boom. Authority. <laughs> Don't go along with it, okay? Don't go along with this mentality. Because wickedness never produces the salvation that you are seeking. Instead, um, look for the proper time in the just way, though you are distressed. That's in verses 5 and 6. There is a proper time and a just way for you to interact. There's a proper time and a just way. We see that in verses 5 and 6. He who keeps a command will know no evil thing. For the wise and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. I think that means even if you live in a really wicked country with a really wicked ruler and it's really hard and there's a lot weighing on you, it's heavy, heavy to live in a world like that, know that there's still a time and there's a just way for you to go about doing the right thing. And the last point we're going to go over is your joy doesn't depend on your president. And I think this is really important for us to hear nowadays. Because there's a lot of people who are just, they just live life unjoyful because of who is elected or who's not elected. They lose joy over this. So let's read 10 through 15 real quick and we'll finish up. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is 
vanity. So wicked people get honorable burials. Vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. In other words, because justice isn't done quickly in our world, people just become more and more evil. I mean, that's why like A-Rod and, and Barry Bonds keep doing steroids, because no one's stopping them. No one's stopping them. They just keep going. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. How unfair is that? You get a long life for doing evil things. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. I think we're talking about not today, but eternity. Though his days might be longer on earth, he will not prolong his days because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. So righteous people get wicked results. Not fair. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. There are wicked people who get righteous results. Not fair. I said that this also is vanity. And here's the last thought, and I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil though the days of his life, through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So real quick, truths, 10 and 14. People don't get what they deserve in this world. That's just a truth of life, guys. You have to realize that people don't get what they deserve. And because of this, some people will just become more and more evil. Right? It's like the kid who just never gets caught, and he just takes it a step further each time. Didn't get caught, didn't get caught. I'm just going to keep going and pushing those boundaries. But in the long run, here's the truth. It will be well for those who fear God, and it will not be well for those who don't. That's what the preacher is anchoring his thoughts on. I know it's not fair in this life, but I know something's going to happen in the next, and it's going to be fair. That's a truth that he builds his argument on. So how do we live in light of that? We fear God. It will go well for those who fear God. And we do so with joy, enjoying what God has given us. And the way I put that is, your joy doesn't depend upon your president. Fear God and do it joyfully, knowing that even if things aren't fair in this life, everything will be resolved in the next life. So the big thing I want you to take away today is this, this question. Our big idea, wherever wisdom is found, it strengthens a society. So here's the big question. Are you strengthening your society or are you making it weaker? Is your family stronger because you are a member of your family? Is your neighborhood better because of how you conduct yourself with the other kids in the neighborhood? Is your school stronger because you are a member of it or is it weaker? Is our youth group stronger because you are a member of our youth group? Or are you working against the flow, pulling us down and pulling us away from where we ought to be? Is your neighborhood, your nation, are we stronger because of who you are? Do you operate on wisdom or do you operate on foolishness? That's our big question for today. So let's pray and ask God to help us to answer that question in our own hearts. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to answer that question with honesty. And Lord, we pray that you would turn the tide of our hearts away from foolishness and folly.
and wickedness and from the temptation to go along with those who are tending in that direction and towards wisdom and honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.